Dr. Becky Spellman. How are you doing today? Good to see you. I'm good, Sean. Good to see you again. How are you? Fantastic. And thank you for joining us. There's been so much going on in the news. And, you know, the biggest story of last week was brand. And the biggest story of next week is going to be Savile. So let's start with brand. What what was your impression when, when all of this news broke? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start because I actually haven't really caught up on the last couple of days. So I'm sure you'll catch me up to speed in a few minutes. But um, I'm always a bit of a skeptic. So I always want to look at like the deeper you know, stuff that might be going on, not to get too much into conspiracy theories or anything like this. But well, first of all, as a psychologist, I want to understand his character and, you know, try and think about who is he, you know, and basically, I think my view of him, which may not be accurate, but, you know, because I've never met him. Um, I met his dad once, though, actually, which is very interesting. But um, did you? I never met. I did. Yeah. <laughs> so um, but I kind of my take on him from just observations and information, you know, which again may not be accurate, is that he probably was much higher on narcissistic traits before he did a lot of work on himself. Because this is a man who has actually successfully overcome some pretty horrific addictions. And, um, you know, this is remarkable. I applaud anyone who puts that amount of work into their self-development. So he was probably much higher on narcissistic traits in past and he had sex addiction which doesn't automatically make him someone who would actually commit certain crimes um, but it does make him highly impulsive and it does make him probably an opportunity because actually he was very hungry to have those needs met which means he's gonna pounce on women but that doesn't mean that he's going to commit any offense it just means that the women that he's encountered in the past would have had to be very strong um very high self-esteem very good at saying no very prepared and very practiced because actually what we often find with sex addiction is that the male is very hungry to to meet his needs in terms of the addiction and he's going to very quickly try and escalate something sexually in a situation and that could often be consensual um, but actually what can often happen is that the woman experiences a freeze response where she's not expecting to be advanced in that way and she just freezes out of shock is not prepared for it and actually can't say no um, and this is where it goes it can often go into a, you know a gray area and it's much better to be explored in in a court of law to see actually exactly what happened and who did what and who said what so I don't want you know anyone to be making any assumptions from what I'm saying because I haven't drawn any you know I haven't decided uh you know whether he's innocent or not but um but uh it doesn't automatically if someone has sex addiction it doesn't automatically make them a sex offender it just means they're hungry and they're going to act out impulsively and actually if that ends up being consensual consensual sex great um but actually women there's certain types of women who are not going to be very prepared to deal with this situation so women who are quite young and not very sexually experienced, won't know what to do, might let the situation happen and it might still come under the realms of it being consensual, but they might have felt excessive amounts of pressure or that it was very unfair and that um, they were taken advantage of. Um, and, you know, what we're very interested in here is actually the feelings of the victims. You know, how did this situation make them feel at the time and, you know, and looking back on it now and, you know, so often we have to dig quite deep into you know, what actually, what were their feelings across time. Um, of course, these situations often involve very high degrees of shame, which is often why people don't speak 
for very long periods of time about what happened. Um, uh, just because he, just because someone has sex addiction, doesn't mean they're necessarily going to push boundaries when someone is saying no. Um, but often, you know, these in these kind of situations, uh, the women might not have been prepared to say no or know how to deal with the with the situation. I think what's very interesting about the story is that it seems like the victims were sought out, that it was not victims going to the police and saying, you know, this happened and I want to bring this man to justice. It seems like they, they were actively pursued. So someone has, it's been on someone's agenda to try to put a narrative together. And it's very interesting to kind of ask the question, why would someone do that? And we're starting to see a bit of a trend here of like people I call truth tellers, people who are very interested in kind of staying away from mainstream media and actually looking at very in-depth information and sharing information. And these people develop a huge following and often they become strongly disliked by certain categories of people. And it seems like there's a trend of trying to take these people down. And that's not to say that they're innocent or not innocent, but I, I'm very curious about, you know, why have they targeted Russell Brand? Why have they made sure that women have come forward and you know said these horrific things against him whether they're true or not true yeah good balanced perspective there and if you're not familiar with dr becky spellman's youtube channel ray j i just put the link in the chat the link is also in the description box please support her work i'm on her channel as well she interviewed me many years ago i think some of you will uh, would, would uh, like to see that it's it's fascinating and uh, we are open to viewer questions. We're live. Please put your questions in the chat wherever you are watching this world, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. And the first question is from Ian Holmes. Dr. Becky, was Russell Brand very much a product of the post-Brit pop new lad 2006-2007 era? I have no idea. It's not really a... I mean, thanks for the question. I do appreciate it. It's not really... As a psychologist, not really anything that I can comment on because that's more kind of cultural stuff. But I don't know. What do you think, Sean? So what I'm finding hypocritical here, Becky, is that the very media outlets that were paying him to crack misogynistic jokes and monetizing his debauchery are the very same media outlets now that are crying holier than thou as if they care so much about survivors but like you pointed out earlier on, the timing of this just absolutely stinks. So, mm. yeah, you know, there has been a shift in moral relativism. When I grew up, Benny Hill was one of the biggest shows in the country where dirty old men are chasing women around in stockings and suspenders trying to pinch their bums. So we've got we've gone from that to this Russell Brand, what's this guy calling it, the post-Britpop new lad era, to now, it's like... It's going up at, at this kind of rate, the, the, the way uh, morals are changed and defined in terms of the TV, because the TV is the thing that kind of set the bar for these things with programs like, like Benny Hill. I mean, what kind of uh, influence does that have on young minds? Portraying yeah. women are just, are just objects running around in stocking suspenders to, to get their asses pinched by, by dirty old men. Yeah, I think that's a really, it's a really good point. And like, I think it's important for everyone to keep a very open mind here and, um, you know, and, and actually be open to you know, because we haven't heard 
the exact um you know unless the news has changed because i'm not completely up to speed because i've stayed away from the media for the last couple of days but we as far as i know the victims are all they haven't gone public is that still accurate correct yeah so um so yeah this is and of course you know why would you want to go public this is very private information and there's such high degrees of shame when people genuinely have experienced um sexual assault um so but it's it's hard until we know all of the details it's hard for us to jump to conclusions and you know, i think it's really important for everyone who's interested in the story to just look at all angles and actually you know look at i guess just ask a lot of questions and you know i think one of the questions is why have they decided when this when these events happened such a long time ago why have they been calling around to see what kind of women want to come forward and you know and and speak against him because usually if someone has been the victim of a crime they might eventually once they have kind of processed it which might take 20 20 years for some people might take longer for some people it's never but if someone does process it let's just say 20 years later as an example and they're able to kind of cope with the idea of speaking to the police and they want justice it's usually them themselves that come forward and they contact the police and they you know are like actually I want justice now for myself this situation was not okay and that's not what what's happening here that these women have been actively sought out and that just makes me a bit skeptical and also he has power you know he's he's very interesting the content he's making and the a level of detail and his brain works in an amazing way you know he's incredibly intelligent and he's able to get to the depths of information much deeper than your average person so what he's disseminating has a lot of influence and he has a huge following so that makes me a bit skeptical but I want to be very respectful to the potential victims of this these assaults as well because I don't want to you know kind of be like well he's powerful and he's got an amazing brain he's able to have influence and he's able to share the truth about a lot of things that we otherwise wouldn't know about so therefore he's innocent and there you know there uh you know is all being kind of fabricated that might not be the case it might be the case that actually he um he might have done these things but then there might be people who really want to take him down as a result of his power and influence yeah and we recently posted a video we analyzed it of a woman who was solicited by these media outlets and she posted the message that they sent her and we analyzed that and when she told them her story that she had a positive experience with him they yeah. said it didn't it, it, they didn't want to include her and she said it obviously didn't fit their narrative yeah. all right we got a question from Jonathan mm. True while we're still posting about Russell Brand isn't that making his innocence guilt just become a, a thing has he been accused of the r word and when does his trial of 12 free men begin so i think one of the astounding things about this case becky is you know when dispatches broadcast that program obviously it hurts everyone in the gut it's disgusting what it portrayed and we were we, you know we we really felt for those women what they said and other people start to say but hold on a minute there might be a big picture here and then the people who were saying that were accused of supporting someone who'd committed these horrible crimes but in the following days these events occurred which i couldn't believe because i've never seen them before in my lifetime we saw the uk government write letters to the social media platforms asking them if they were demonetizing him like youtube had done youtube demonetized him and then when rumble refused 
the chair of some committee, culture, something or other, Dame Caroline Dinage, said that um, it could be possible to use Ofcom to shut Rumble down in the country and also, if the bosses of Rumble set on UK style, they could be thrown in prison. <laughs> so, and there's not supposed to be a big picture here. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really concerning because what happens people when they're cancelled um, is that they're at such a high risk of suicide because all of a sudden um, their, well, their financial means is, it comes to an end, you know, and then also their reputation and, um, you know, everything, their whole life's, uh, work and worth and, and the way they view themselves changes, uh, you know, whether they're, whether they're innocent or not. So the risk of someone becoming suicidal is so high when events like this happen that if they haven't been, if they haven't been convicted yet, we need to, you know, and this is just my opinion as a psychologist, we need to look after them and we need to make sure that their life can continue at relatively as relatively normal as possible until there is actually a conviction. So the problem with demonetizing someone like this, and you know, some people are smarter than others, as in some people have their their pot in, uh, you know, they, they they don't have everything all in the one pot, and they're able to kind of um, gain financially from various different means. But when it's an individual who earns all of their financial means from one source, then that's incredibly difficult. It adds to the distress. So there's definitely I think a duty of care here to people who haven't been convicted, you know, let them continue life relatively, you know, as, as normal as possible. Of course, if they're at risk of harming people, you know, try and try and eliminate that risk. But, um, you know, let them try and continue on like normal because that's going to prevent a lot of suicides. And um, it just uh, yeah, it annoys me when stuff like that happens, when actually we don't have all the information. There hasn't been a conviction yet. So. Becky, in the work that you do then, do you work with people who've got substance and alcohol issues? Yeah, I work with a lot of people who have all kinds of addiction. Um, it could be substance addiction, sex addiction, and the less known addictions like work addiction. Uh, love addiction is quite common as well. So based on your experience then working with these people, would a situation like this put Russell Brand at risk of relapsing? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so sometimes people have done enough self-development that they're so far away from the character that they used to be. Like I have friends who um, were former heroin addicts and you know, you just can't even imagine like the, the friendship and the bond that I have with them. Couldn't even imagine them using heroin and they know that they'll never go back there. I mean, I think, I think there's always a fear within themselves if someone has had a serious addiction there's always a fear that they somehow might kind of you know slip up but often when people have done really profound work on themselves they're just so far away from the character that they used to be um they have very different coping strategies they have very different social support and um, you know they speak to people in their lives they they don't try and suppress emotions um i think that russell brand because it's it was such a significant he had really had pretty bad addictions and he's not that person anymore i think that he would probably have enough support around him and i i think he has a lot of support but in terms of personal support and close support i would imagine he has a lot of people who are 
are really there for him and that he's able to speak openly to and can confide in in this time and that he's actually able to speak about how he's feeling. And also he's continuing to make content, which is a really good sign because if someone is really depressed, they're not going to be able to make content because depressed people can't even move. You know, they, they move so slowly that like just even trying to like get dressed to sit in front of a camera is impossible. He seems to be staying relatively healthy and his mood is good enough to make content. So therefore, I would say he's probably coping okay. You know, he's probably not coping very well because this is really tough and distressing for anyone who experiences it. But um, he's probably speaking regularly and, um, you know, he probably is being given a lot of support and positivity from those around him who don't, you know, perhaps believe uh, that he's com committed these, these crimes. So, um He's probably doing, you know, he's probably doing okay. If he's innocent, he's going to be doing much better than someone who really has committed these crimes because there's a lot of hope there if someone is innocent. They rely on hope that actually everything will, you know, come out in the end and that justice will be done and that their name will come clean. Um, it's when actually people um, are, you know, have committed these crimes that there's a lot more suffering takes place because there's a lot more shame as a result of what they have done in the past. Yeah, and just to finish off with Jonathan True, saying, and when does this trial of 12 free men begin? So, Jonathan, as far as we were, you know, after the dispatches, the media and the police were urging people to come forward. And as far as I'm aware, a couple of people have come forward to the police and made complaints, but there's not been a criminal case set in motion yet. So any trial is far off. Next question is from Angela. Did Sean Atwood have her when Becky interviewed him. <laughs> no, I did not. I did not have her. Are you chest, I had Chester. That's about it. You look identical. You haven't even changed. I don't know how many years oh, ago thank it you. was. Thank you. <laughs> you're you equally too. as patient you as you were. <laughs> um, you took a long time to set up on that on that too. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You're the waiting. Patience. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Um, question from Jake. Is sex addiction a genuine illness? Sex addiction is an addiction like any other addiction. And the way I see addictions is it's, it's about um, emotional immaturity. It's about suppressing your emotions, not knowing how to deal with feelings. And therefore, you're constantly trying to live a life of pushing down your emotions. So you don't have to feel them. So it's kind of a, an ad addiction to distraction. There's also problems with dopamine levels in the brain. So you're trying to get a dopamine hit from the behaviors that you do. And that becomes very compulsive. We see this with social media addiction. So we all can kind of relate to that. If we're social media users, we tend to like compulsively go back into these apps and check them. So some types of um, you know, as humans, we're quite primitive. We're all very susceptible to some kind of uh, compulsive behaviors that are seen as somewhat addictive. And then, of course, you've got um, people who are more emotionally immature are the ones who are more susceptible to develop really bad addictions. Next question is from Papa Chubby. Why do successful men who often have amazing wives insist on crossing that line with women? Or as we've seen recently with men, because... Many successful men, TV presenters with amazing wives have crossed the line with men. Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, well, I mean, we're kind of assuming here that I, obviously this question doesn't mention Russell's name, but we're kind of assuming here that he's guilty. And actually, you know, we, um, you know, we don't know that yet. So, um, so I think um, 
what we have seen in his recorded behavior with women is he's not afraid to approach women and he's not afraid to touch women and he's not afraid to flirt with women and he's not afraid to kind of make a move on women and actually some of that behavior um when the man is carefully gauging what's appropriate and what's acceptable to the woman in front of him some of that behavior is actually um very attractive behavior to women so actually women you know do like men to show interest in them this is you know it can be very flattering this can be you know a compliment if it's invited and if it's if it's well received um so you know it is about actually being an empath and i think the problem here is that russell brand was absolutely not as empathic in the past as he potentially is today because he suppressed his emotions and anyone who suppresses their emotions is not highly empathic because they're not able to feel their own emotions and therefore they can't feel other people's emotions so um yeah did he cross the line uh he probably did because he was probably very interested in his own needs he was someone who had um sex addiction and but he didn't really care about how these women felt and therefore he probably did offend some women um but you know whether he committed crimes or not is another story um would he behave in this way now probably very unlikely if he has done the emotional work that's required that you know if you really work through your deep pain and your emotions you start to understand your pain and therefore you understand other people's pain so he perhaps he has much higher empathy than he did in the past question from lotty the trust issue seems to be difficult are we more inclined to trust con people i.e we do do people want to seem moral and responsible if they they are behaving with a double life i don't know if he was was he behaving with a double life because i mean there's it's not like he was it was very different to some of the other cases where it was married men who then um married supposedly heterosexual men who then had these secret relationships with men but you know this is actually someone who was a known womanizer you know he was known to be like very good with women and not afraid to approach them so i don't i don't know if i'd call it a double life i mean i guess it is a double life if he was you know if he was committing loads of crimes and i just don't want to be jumping to that conclusion just yet I think, Becky, some people perhaps, because they drew parallels with Savile, uh, you know, and they they even subtitled the Dispatches thing In Plain Sight, and In Plain Sight is the definitive book about Savile, that he's been tarred with that now. Do you think that was fair for them to draw those parallels with Savile? No, I don't think it's fair at all, because if you look at Russell Brand's behaviour and his character and, like, it's very different to Savile because Savile, I think there, and you know, of course, like we have the information that we need about Savile. So it's, it's much easier to kind of share an opinion on this, but you know, Savile was inappropriate to a, a psychopath level. You know, he was just constantly, you know, very predatory, really targeting, you know, children. I mean, there's, there's no children involved in these, um, the story with, with Russell Brand and, um, and there is positive, you know, as you say, there's positive stories of, um, you know, as you say, that that example you gave, the woman had a positive experience with him. And this is my issue with some of these documentaries. And it's not the first time that I've come across a documentary where they have put stuff in that's fit the narrative and they've left stuff out that gives a balance. And I think, you know, it really frustrates me 
and and I feel very disappointed that that woman's story was not put in to give the balance because actually you know we need all of the information to to try and make a decision here and if you're if you're purposely leaving stuff out because it just doesn't fit your narrative then it's not fair because you're manipulating the public so you know I think shame on the documentary makers for leaving you know the more balanced view out because I think we do we do need to and you know luckily it has come out um we need to hear all the facts here and not just some of them question from a nexus how best can russell brand and his wife see his daughters through this time of crisis um yeah so let me just make sure i'm understanding the the question so it's um how can he kind of cope? How can him and his wife coped through this time of crisis? Like, how can he? Like, like protecting should... the family, protecting the family. I mean, all you can really do as an individual in these, in this kind of, in these kind of circumstances is take it day by day and just do the right behavioral strategies every day to try and stay well as a person. You know, so literally, like, can you make sure you eat well enough? Because this is so distressing that people tend to lose their appetite. Can you make sure you're still getting exercise? Can you make sure you're still working? Like, you know, just the basic things. And then I think that is him demonstrating, you know, that's him also trying to protect his family because he's staying well enough to interact with his family and not go into a severe depression. Um, you know, so I think it's literally just caring for himself during this time because I always worry about people when these stories come out, you know, uh, about them is, is how much is their mental health going to deteriorate? And, you know, are they going to be okay? And, you know, and often people are not okay. And, you know, it's, just, it's a real test of, of strength. Um, it's a, you know, a horrific thing to happen. Anyone, particularly if they might be innocent. Question from Marcia. Misogyny is a thing of the last century. Why are we questioning calling out people men in this new era? I mean, is it is it a thing of the last of the last century? I, I, I don't think it is. It's I don't think it is. Misogyny, you know, exists. We can, you know, we often can find, you know, people where where that's playing out. Um, we don't know. I mean, unless we actually spoke to Russell, we don't know how he views women. We don't know how, you know, he respects women or disrespects women. But he has successful relationships with women. Women, and what I you know, measure of success, a successful relationship is like, you know, anyone who can stay in a relationship for a number of years, you know, has is doing whatever they can to make that relationship work. Obviously, whether it's a healthy relationship or not, we need more information. But if someone can't form a relationship and they don't stay in a committed relationship at all, then that's a sign of, you know, there's usually kind of some problems there. But uh, Russell Brand has had long, long-term relationships with several women. Right, we're going to double up on the doctors now. We're going to bring in my friend, Dr. Shaham Das. Mr. Hello. Atwood, how are you doing? Yay. Congratulations on the success of your channel and your books. Thank you so much, Sean. Congratulations on the, the new fatherhood. Cheers, appreciate that. So we've been talking about brand and a bit about Savile. And I just want to ask you a question that we did put to Becky earlier. If you watch, Did you watch the dispatches on Russell Brand? Yes, I did, yeah. All right. Did, do you think it's fair that they drew a parallel between Savile and Russell Brand? Um, hi, by the way, Becky. Um, I don't think we met before. Hi, nice to meet you. And you. Um, 
Yes and no. I suppose that there are a couple of things they have in common if we're actually sort of analysing their personality traits. But I think they've got more differences than they have commonalities. So obviously they're both celebrities and they're treated like celebrities. So they're both quite, I think, entitled, possibly quite narcissistic. Um, I, I think the main difference between them, I think, is the image they portray. So I think that Russell Brand sees himself as a bit of a Lothario. He's, you know, he's very promiscuous openly, or he was, I should say, uh, in lots of sexual relationships. He's overly sexualized when he was a guest on TV a lot of the time. Whereas Jimmy Savile was different. Jimmy Savile, I think, was was hiding in plain sight by being a bit odd and being a bit weird and being a bit creepy. So they're very different in the way they present themselves. All right, I appreciate that. So, Dr. Das's links are in the description box. Please support his channel. If you've got any questions, wherever you are watching this in the world, put them in the chat and we will put them to our panelists. And in terms of, before we go to Mo Savalin, um, Shaham, um, do you think, you know, this theory that there's a bigger picture against Russell Brand? Because people were questioning that, but then. All of a sudden, the UK government started asking foreign platforms to demonetize him and threatening to use Ofcom to arrest people. It, it kind of like adds to people's suspicions. Yeah. Um, these are my thoughts. So, I mean, he, he, he does, he is quite anti-establishment. He is anti-government, right? But so are a lot of people. And so are a lot of people who are much, much bigger than him. So I don't think, I mean, right. So he's either guilty or he's not guilty. Obviously, we should say that he has uh, denied all these allegations and he hasn't yet been criminally found responsible. But I think the counter argument to that is that there's a lot of allegations. You know, you could say uh, there's no smoke without fire. So if he is guilty, then it's irrelevant whether he is, uh, whether people are trying to shut him down or not, right? Because as I say, there are people that are bigger than him that are, that are causing more of a stir, an anti-establishment stir, I think. If he's not guilty, would they really go after him with such like sordid kind of accusations to shut him down? I think it's actually very unlikely. But look what happened with Julian Assange. We saw allegations there that were later dropped in 2019. And I remember seeing all over the world, the headlines was the R word, he's the R word, he's the R word. And I defended him and my girlfriend at the time was mad at me, my sister was mad at me, and my parents were mad at me. And then, and then later on it all got dropped. But anyway, we got a question from Princess Angela. Um, Dr. Becky, is it wrong for companies like the BBC to go back over old reports that weren't acted upon and bring them to the forefront to protect themselves from future scandals? So can we get a bit more specific on this? So are there, is there something that's going on with Russell that where they're looking at old reports? Um, well, we've seen this happen over and over again, haven't we? I mean, people said that what happened with Philip Schofield was common knowledge. People had reported it, but it was covered up. Um, in general, it just seems like to be like a pattern of this. Yeah, I guess one thing to point out here is that when something happens where people actually never suspected it, often people will jump at like, oh, I knew that, you know, and they will find memories. They're actually kind of false memories, but they'll look back on information and they'll change the way they had been interpreting the information. So um, people like to be right about things. So there is kind of false report by some people. So um 
so I think we need to be careful about how people remember stuff because we actually know that people's memories are not so accurate when when new information is shared and then people just kind of change their perception of how they perceive uh, they perceive things um, previously. Um, in relation to old reports, um, you know, I think it's facts that we need, you know, we need to hear about. So if there was reports about his behavior that have never come to light, then, you know, I think it's important for these to be shared at this point so that we, we have as much information as possible. Good point about memory being malleable because neuroscience has shown that, you know, people can get on the stand and give expert uh, witness testimony and believe 100% in what they're saying because it's changing the brain. What do you think about that, Dr. Das, especially in light of, you know, allegations from decades ago? Is it a problem? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> what we're talking about is hindsight bias, isn't it? It's, it's us making assumptions uh, re- uh, in the future about stuff that we, uh, in, interpreting things differently from the past. So, for example, if we're talking about somebody, say a female who's met Russell Brand and he was really, really sort of flirtatious with her and over-sexualized, somebody could leave that experience thinking oh that's russell being russell maybe potentially even being flattered by that experience but now that everything's come out all these allegations they can still look at exactly the same uh, event the same kind of interaction and think russell russell brand was being a massive creep now that they know all these allegations against him so it, that's the kind of an example of the way that we see things the exact same set of, of circumstances but through a different lens Becky, Jake wants to know, should we be critical of females who sleep with men on the basis of their status? I mean, humans often do things that are very much within their own interests. And actually, uh, just to kind of jump on um, on the comment that you've just made, um, when stories like this come out, often people will jump on it so that they get some airtime. So, you know, sometimes other celebrities come forward and want to, you know, share their opinion just so they get kind of, you know, some publicity out of it. Um, so uh, females who sleep with men on the basis of their status, well, I mean, it just sounds like very superficial behavior, but then we want to look a bit deeper and, you know, we don't want to make assumptions. We want to look at what actually is that person genuinely attracted to? You know, are they, you know, are they actually attracted to that person for their soul and, you know, their kindness and all of these good qualities? Or actually are they, you know, going after someone in a more gold digging type of way, you know, are they looking for someone because they think it's going to improve their life and, um, you know, they're just kind of chasing someone who's actually not going to be very good for them as a, as a partner or for someone that um, is going to be good for them to be associated with. So I think you need to really look at, you know, the kind of deeper motives behind, behind the person's behavior. And also, is this person being conscious about their behavior? Are they actually going for something that, you know, is genuinely good for them? Uh, sometimes people meet people who are in the public eye and they have a very deep, they form a very deep, genuine connection with them. And people can make assumptions that this person is just chasing this person for the status. But actually, you know, you often don't know what's behind a bond between two people. What do you think about that? that. Yeah, um, that's really um, insightful, Becky. I I suppose what I would add to that is that for me, it depends if the individual has been clear about their agenda, right? So, you know, we're living in 2023. We're a very um, sort of sexually open society. I don't think there's anything wrong with men or women um, going, trying to trying to sleep with famous people for their own clout, as long as they're being honest about what they're doing. You know, if they are, I don't know, influencers, Instagram people, et cetera, et cetera, then it's not that unexpected. I think it's when you have people that do it 
to get themselves up the social hierarchy and then either lie about it or pretend that they have some sort of other skill or ability and, and kind of try and jump their way up uh, up the ladder then then i think that it's fair to be judgmental about those people for that reason so it's not about them sleeping with the celebrity it's about their the intention behind that and, and the agenda so becky ann has asked if a narcissist will always be a narcissist Actually, there's a really good question, because um, this is one of my areas of, of interest. Um, hmm. No, but what it takes to actually treat a narcissist is so extreme that very, very few people would go through the treatment. So I have actually quite a good example of this. Um, a good friend of mine uh, was a drug smuggler. He was caught and spent um, six years in prison. Four wasn't sure that years. one, was it? <laughs> I seem to I seem to make friends with similar types of people. Uh, so uh, four of those years was in isolation, and through that time, he went through multiple psychological breakdowns. And I know from speaking to him at length that he was a former narcissist because of how he was interacting with people, how he was. Um, the, th the behaviors he got involved in, the things he did, the harm he caused, uh, absolutely no empathy. He's an incredibly empathic person now, extremely kind, forms very deep and long-lasting relationships, and he's just a very different person. But in order for him to change, he had to go into isolation for four years and allow himself to go through very, you know, multiple psychological breakdowns. And he ha he really wanted to change, so he needed that element as well. And a lot of narcissists um, don't have the motivation enough that they really want to change. And, you know, who's going to put themselves in isolation for four years? Um, so it and I'm not saying that's the only way for a narcissist to change, but it's so extreme for them to change. It's really difficult. And then also you want to look at, well, is this someone who has full blown narcissistic personality disorder or is it just someone who has traits of narcissism? And you want and it's a spectrum you want to look at, like, how high are their traits of narcissism? Because we all have traits of narcissism. Shaham, will a narcissist always be a narcissist? Uh, yeah, so I think the vast majority of the time the answer is yes. Uh, one thing I'd say is that it's very rare for people who have extreme narcissism like narcissistic personality disorder to actually want to be treated. They're not too dissimilar to psychopaths in this way in that they don't think there's anything wrong with them at their core. It's people around them that are not adjusting, people around them that, that criticize them too much or don't admire them enough. For the, for the small core of people that eventually learn that there's something... Uh, wrong about their presentation then from my experience from my clinical experience is often after years and years and years of broken relationships so it's not initially it's not because they think they're doing anything wrong or they're, they're too kind of egotistical it's because relationships break down again and again and again whether it's romantic relationships family maybe even their own children sort of distance themselves then eventually after many decades they realize that something's wrong that I'm, I'm sort of giving you a long-winded answer. I think at the core, the core belief that I am special and that you know that um, I'm better than other people and that, that I have abilities, that I'm good-looking, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I think that's very unlikely to change for the average narcissist. But what can change is the behaviour around it. So you can adapt your lifestyle, the way you interact with people, um, the way you might piss people off by making some sort of snide comments, which is something a narcissist can do, or the way that you can be quite, you can lack empathy and not be interested in your friend's problems. You can pick up on, on those things and learn to change those, uh, change those traits. So Becky, Kaza is asking, as the cops have not yet charged Russell Brand, do you think the allegations are maybe not as true as what is being portrayed? I mean, 
I hate to, you know, I hate to jump onto all the information. I think we should always err on the side of caution and, and be a bit skeptical as to, you know, this, this, it's like this story keeps repeating itself. It's like every couple of weeks, we're talking about a new man who has committed, you know, supposedly committed horrible crimes. Obviously, in some cases, yes, they, they, you know, they are guilty. Um, but it's a, it's a trend that's happening at the moment. And I think we have to kind of question why is this happening to so many men at the moment? And, um, you know, and are, are all the case, you know, it can't be the case that all of these cases, they're completely guilty. Sometimes, sometimes there's gray areas, you know, so sometimes it's not a case of it being black and white. Sometimes there, you know, there's more to these stories than meets the eye. So I think it's important for people to, you know, kind of hold back on, on jumping to conclusions. Um, I mean, I, I'm very curious to know more, more information about this. And um, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to think that he's not as guilty as people think, but then that's bringing in my own kind of biases into this. Um, I also don't mind being proven wrong. Sean, we'll give the same question to you, but also add on to it. Do you think it's unfair when there is a presumption of innocence that he's lost so much and there's not yet been a criminal case? Yeah, so I suppose my answer would be that nobody can definitively say whether he's guilty or not at this moment in time. I think we will be able to uh, once the once the court case has happened. But I think the the chances that there is a possibility that there are there is a false allegation, right? But every time there's more allegations and when they line up and there's a number of them. Uh, then the chances of them all being false is incrementally smaller, I think, especially if the women don't know each other and especially if the stories are quite similar. So I guess I, I'm kind of dodging the question a little bit. I can't say definitively he's guilty, but I'm saying that it, it, it looks suspicious and the more accusations that come out, I think the more suspicious it looks. The other thing I'd say is that I could see how somebody like Russell Brand could have grey areas in his own mind when it comes to consent and sexual relationships. I'm of course not for a second condoning any any of his of his alleged behaviour, but I'm just saying that if you have somebody that's quite full of themselves, that's quite narcissistic in general, uh, loves being the centre of attention, and then has lots of sexual partners, projects themselves as this Lothario, then I think in his head he probably doesn't care as much as he should do. He probably lacks the empathy for women that say no to him because he's so used to women saying yes to him. Again, none of that means that he is definitively guilty. I'm just saying that all these things add up to a picture where I can see why he would be guilty. Um, and then to answer your question, yeah, I mean, if he is if he is innocent, if that does get proven, then absolutely it's really unfair that his, his uh, career has been damaged irreparably. Uh, even if he's found innocent, I'm sure this will follow him around like a bad smell. Yeah. All right, let me put the other side of that to Becky then. So you said that the similarities of the stories was evidence against him, but because they went to journalists, and a journalist could easily say something like, did he have a glazed look in his eye? And the response could be, yeah, he had a glazed look in his eye when he did this. And also the other thing that they really portrayed was the mascara joke. But he said the mascara joke before, long before the journalists went and talk to these women. So they could have put that in the questioning because it came from him first. So Becky, do you think the similarities in this case worsen his case or mitigate his case? Are you talking about the similarities between what the... Yes. Um, 
so I think, yeah, I mean, I think if there's similarities, I mean, we're going to, we're always going to find similarities. I think the question is, are the journalists here or the, the people who've sought out these women, are they acting the same as the documentary filmmakers have made and um, have acted and they're leaving things in that fit their narrative or asking questions in a way that the answers will fit their narrative. So I would be a bit skeptical. Um, I think if you have an interaction with anyone, there's certain behaviors that, you know, take place and you're going to get some kind of consistency. So I wouldn't necessarily say that the consistency means that he's guilty. All right. Next question. Have we answered this one? Do narcissists know they are narcissists, Dr. Das? Um, I think initially they don't because again, they, they uh, have such a sort of self grandized grand, grandiose version of themselves that they can't understand why the rest of the world doesn't just fit in with their own system, their belief system. So they think they're amazing. They don't understand. They think there's something wrong with other people for not also thinking that they're amazing. But as we were talking about before, if lots of relationships fail and lots of people give them that feedback over and over again, initially they won't believe it, but eventually they might. Do you want to answer that one as well, Becky? Or did you already touch yeah, on that? Yeah. So it just depends on self-awareness and, um, you know, and we're all narcissists in the beginning. You know, if you look at children, they're all narcissists and then it's about emotional maturity. Um, you know, so with narcissists, it's really about, you know, not being able to, uh, you know, look at other people's perspectives and very low empathy. Um, so we all have this in the beginning and then we mature and then we start to develop empathy and, and are, you know, not so selfish and are very interested in other people's perspectives. And, um, so when people, you know, are usually quite intelligent, they figure out what the, you know, the problem is with themselves, either through research or feedback, you know, they pick up on information where they're like, ah, oh, okay, I figured out it's narcissism, you know, I have quite high traits of narcissism, or perhaps full NPD. So, um, yeah, they'll usually figure it out with time. Um, you know, if they're, if they're lower intelligence, they might not do the research or have the self-awareness to figure it out. They won't always know. And also the covert narcissist is a very interesting type of narcissist because you're seeing something different going on there. You're not seeing like the, uh, you know, the self-praise and these grandiose um, behaviors. You're just seeing actually, um, very low empathy and and selfishness um so that's it can be harder to figure out you've also got the nice guy narcissist who helps people and you know does things that make him look good so that might be a type of narcissist where it might take them a lot longer to realize or they might never realize at all just 10 minutes left with becky and shaham so please put your questions in the chat next one is for shaham isn't there a biological drive to mate with an alpha to improve and extend the survival of the offspring? Uh, so this reminds me of hybristophilia, which is like a posh name that we psychiatrists and psychologists give to people, or to usually women, it can happen the other way around, who fall in love with men who are dangerous or who are serial killers, murderers, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the theories that is that in these particular women, uh, there is this biological drive and they go for the you know, from uh, from like prehistoric times, they kind of relate to our ancestors who were the strongest alpha males who were the best at protecting the herd, protecting the mother, protecting the children. As to whether it's relevant nowadays in modern society, I don't think so. I think that it, that it might be in a very small proportion of people, but I think most because our, because the way that society interacts and the way that status is now is so much more complicated than it was back then. 
we look at so many other things like you know money intelligence charm wit so it's all of those things so my my to summarize my answer i think there was thousands of years ago but i don't think there is so much now so an alpha with money then would be able to extend the survival of the offspring would, would that be the case becky when you look at who people are attracted to you want to look at attachment style and you want to look at early life upbringing, but also trauma that's happened in romantic relationships throughout life. And then you'll actually see why people are attracted to certain people. Um, so um, you mentioned, um, yeah, being protected by a male that can be very attractive to some females. Um, but for other females who've had very different upbringing, they might actually like to be the caregiver and the, the one who provides in the relationship. And you have you know, someone who creates a very different dynamic. So I think to understand why people go for certain types of relationships um, romantically, you just want to look at, you want to ask, you know, what their relationship like with their mom and dad, what dynamic did they grow up with? And then you want to ask other questions like their first um, romantic relationships or even relationships with peers and, um, you know, heartbreak as well, uh, which leads into the trauma side of things. And then you get a much better understanding as to why someone is attracted to, to a particular person yeah so just just to add to, to, add to that sean um just for your viewers to give you like a, a solid example we'll completely agree with everything that becky said if you imagine if a particular individual grows up in uh, a in a dangerous environment say i don't know around gangs or where there's lots of violence in the family or within their peers then you can see how that individual might care about safety and might sort of go for a mate who who they think has an aggressive high status related to their strength and their fighting ability within society but if you had somebody else where none of that was relevant where they grew up in safety i don't know maybe privilege maybe they were you know, fairly posh middle class then they're probably not going to find that attractive they're going to go for intelligence instead because it's what they find attractive in terms of status i thought this was all going to be about brand and sell but we're getting deep into psychodynamics here so a question from jake what purpose does our consciousness serve can you ask, can you ask Becky that first, please? <laughs> well, okay, let's start with what is consciousness, and uh, you know, and then we'll speak for about two hours on that topic. <laughs> then, you know, we'll talk about do rocks have consciousness? Do trees have consciousness? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's I think it's to make sure we don't digress too much. It's a fascinating question, and you know, I'd love to kind of talk about this on a different episode. But, has a title about consciousness well we might digress too much if we go into this question what's the definition of consciousness dr das oh god i was hoping you'd ask becky first because i don't really know how to answer this it's more <laughs> uh, than it is psychiatry um i suppose uh, off the top of my head the definition of consciousness is knowing that you are alive and that your actions thoughts and behaviors can affect other living things around you all right, Becky, can narcissism be learned in a toxic environment like the entertainment industry? It's usually rooted earlier on in life. Um, so you want to look at early life upbringing. Um, you know, usually traits of narcissism are going to have developed by the age of five. Um, there is an argument that it's genetic. Um, so there could be a, a genetic element, but we really are interested in, in early life upbringing as well because often we will see trauma when someone ends up uh, becoming a narcissist um so uh what we do know is people who are drawn to fame are more likely to be narcissists um so tend to have higher traits of narcissism than 
the general, you know, the average population. So, um, so often this is because people have not received the validation that they needed growing up and then they look outward and they look at getting that validation from the public and, and trying to promote themselves and become famous so they feel worthy. Um, so yeah, we see a lot more narcissists in the entertainment industry, but that's not to say that everyone in the entertainment industry is a narcissist. Um, but actually, even the people who are not narcissists, when you ask them, why did you seek out fame? If there's someone who sought out fame and not uh, becoming famous for you know, a talent that they have. Um, but when people seek it out, it is often to do with low self-esteem. And you know, the people who've done the work on themselves will often openly admit that because they're not ashamed of it. And luckily, there's some great famous people out there who sought out fame for the wrong reasons in the first place and now they're famous and they're doing a great job of being famous and they're no they no longer need that validation and they're using their influence and power to do some amazing work um but you know if people are actively seeking fame the kind of most obvious thing to think about is did they not receive enough validation as a child what do you think shaham yeah so i completely agree with becky i think there is obviously a higher number of people who are at their core narcissistic in entertainment because it's very attractive to them. They want to be the center of attention. They want validation. As to whether narcissism can be taught, I suppose it's a fine line between narcissism and confidence. Confidence absolutely can be taught. Um, I suppose if you tell somebody that they're amazing from a really young age, I'm trying to think of somebody like, I don't know, Michael Jackson, like a child star, or a child prodigy. If all, you, all, all you've heard from when you're young is that you're amazing, you're special, you're better than other people, then I suppose that can be taught, I guess. But I, I think that would be mainly, people, mainly in the formative years in childhood and adolescence. I don't see it happening that often in people who are fairly stable and level-headed uh, as adults who later change into narcissists. It's possible, but I think it's unlikely. And just to add, to add on something that Becky said, usually, from my experience, all narcissists have some sort of inferiority complex at their core. So in some way, they feel that they didn't get what they deserved growing up. It could be um, lack of parental attention, lack of parental love. It could be being bullied at school. It could be that they didn't achieve their potential educationally. They're actually very intelligent, but whatever reason, they didn't try hard enough and they didn't do as well as they could have done. So they end up in a job where they don't feel that they uh, are being validated enough. So there's usually some, if you go back in their life, there's usually something that explains why they just need this attention and praise. And it's usually... Uh, just to jump onto that, um, what Dr. Das has said, there's usually a high degree of shame in relation to those shortcomings, um, particularly neglect um, or abuse that they've experienced or very inconsistent caregiving. And then that shame is so deep and dark and painful that they often are not able to do the work that's required to change um, because they would have to actually look at the neglect that they've experienced or the abuse that they've experienced. And it's, it's just too shameful for them. We've got a comment from Jake here, Dr. Das. Let's see what you're going to say about this. Dr. Das <laughs> insinuated that promiscuity is accepted in society. This may be true in urban areas, but it is certainly not the case in rural areas. Did you insinuate that, Dr. Das? Um, I think what I, what I said, or what I, what I hoped I said, was, uh, <laughs> cancel me, was, uh, was that we're sort of very sexually open, aren't we? We're very liberated compared to like a generation or two generations ago. I think that maybe, uh, Jake's also written, I live on a farm here in the comments. So I think maybe there's something wrong with your game and your chat up lines, Jake. Uh, I think I don't think it's anything to do with rural areas. <laughs> um, Becky, out of all the narcissist types, are covert the most insidious? 
I mean, when it's when it's covert, it's just harder, right? Because if someone is overtly a narcissist, you can stay. You can you can pick up on it. You can stay away from them, and you know that you know if it's a romantic relationship, you know what you're getting yourself into. When it's covert, particularly if it's the nice guy narcissist, um, and I'm not implying that all narcissists are men, because obviously they could be female as well. But um, the nice person narcissist, then it's uh, more shocking and more you know more traumatic for some you know, people often these individuals and attract to them and um and then you know are very surprised when actually this is someone who has very low empathy because um the covert narcissist will usually do very nice behaviors but behavior people using behavior in order to get what they want rather than actually just being genuinely kind people we're running out of time so i'll give this one to shaham but we've only got a minute to answer it um 45 years ago when i was at secondary school we all knew rumours that Savile was a beep. Why did he get away with it for so long? Uh, so I'll give you a summary 30-second answer. I think it's a combination mm-hmm. of factors. His celebrity status, remembering that he was on TV when there weren't that many channels, so being like a regular a regular TV presenter was one of the highest sort of levels of fame you could get. Uh, the fact that he had connections to so many very powerful people, politicians, BBC, uh, Royal Family, uh, Yorkshire Police, even in Broadmoor. There was a culture of silence, I think, more back then than there is now, uh, where people cover things up. The, the society wasn't as woke as it is now, or post uh, Me Too, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and also, I think institutions were to blame as well. So there were hospitals, there were schools where they either knew or suspected what was going on, but it's, but it was it was more embarrassing to them to expose a Savile than it would have been to actually challenge him. So all of those things. This has been absolutely riveting and fascinating, guys. And if you're watching this, please support Shaham and Becky. The channel links and social links in the description box below this video. We're going to be doing reaction videos uh, every after every episode of The Reckoning. So if you guys have got any more time you can spare with us, we'd love to get you back. And cheers for spending time with us this evening. So thank you very much. Love you, so nice Sean. to Love see you, Becky. See you, Sean. Lovely to meet Cheers. you, Dr. Bath. Bye. Thanks, guys. All right, bye. Bye, everyone. Right, we're going to bring in Stephen Knight. 